Hey, Ronin Geeks, just a heads up here from Alex Austin. You won't be hearing much of Rob on this episode because unfortunately his audio had crashed and it was unrecoverable. So I was able to stitch together the episode with myself and Adam, and I think you'll get the gist of what we're talking about here, which is mainly news items and then our top five most meaningful games from myself. I think you'll still get a kick out of this episode, and there's definitely some jokes to be had. So enjoy the end. Right, welcome to episode 90 of Ronin Geek, official podcast, one of the biggest geek and gaming podcasts in all of Windsor, Ontario. Uh, there's probably one or two bigger. <laughs> yeah, mo- most likely, most likely. And uh, yeah, which uh, it's a title I'm really proud of, guys, and, and we should all be very proud of that. We, so a very we, cool thing. We have the title of closest, probably not the biggest one in Windsor. That's our title. Yeah, close to it. I would say top five. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. out of out of out of the four that exist here. <laughs> accurate. Yes, very accurate. Uh, and <laughs> and and uh, representing Rotor Geek Official Podcast. Uh, this is Alex Austin, and not in the room with me today. I have isolated plebeian Adam. And today we got some news topics to cover, and we're also going to start a little bit that we've brainstormed over the last couple episodes about our. Five, sorry, I keep misquoting this, but it's the top five most meaningful games to us as individual people separately. So Yeah, (laughs) later on, we're going to fuse into a Megazord and we're going to do the top five for us collectively. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure how it's going to work. One of us has to be a leg. So who who has to be the codpiece? That's the real question. Oh I was just God. talking about Brian Adams and his song, I Want to Be Your Underwear, and how fucking creepy that shit is. I've never, either I've never heard that song, or I've never heard the name of the song. The name of the song is called, I Want to Be Your Underwear. Gee, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very subtle. It's quite gross, actually. <laughs> he wants He wants to be skinned alive, and his skinned... Uh, dried and tanned and, and turned into leather so other people wear it as underwear. Is that it? That That's that's it. Leather underwear. That's what he wants. He wants to be in... <laughs> Human leather underwear. Sweet. Yeah, he wants to be in S&M underwear, clearly. Well, Hannibal Lecter uh, would be into it, so he'd be all about that. <laughs> yeah. So, and <laughs> that's, that's what I'm getting from this. Anyway, we're off the rails already, but we do have some news topics to cover today uh, along with... The five most meaningful games for myself and possibly Adam. I I suspect it'll be both of us today because I didn't get to go last week. And then the news items are going to include some stuff about Jurassic Park and some stuff about Star Wars. So if we can't get enough Star Wars news, it just keeps going. The Star Wars train keeps a rolling. So uh, that's what we'll be into today. I guess we'll start with uh, Jurassic Park news if you guys are down for that a little bit more. More. Yeah, I, I didn't hear about this. What's up L- with Jurassic Park? A little Park? bit more T-Rex. You like T-Rexes? You like um, I'm kind of sick and tired of uh, T-Rexes. I'm, I've well, you know what? Fuck you. Fuck you, weeks, Adam. So. T-Rex is tired of you, too. It's a fact. <laughs> I'm sure T-Rex Ajanath <laughs> is very tired of my shit. <laughs> what about Velociraptors? You into Velociraptors? Uh, they're just they're they're just uh, Kulu Yakuls. They, they're, they're bullshit little creatures. They don't count. Wait, how about Mosasaurus? Are you still into him? 
I have no idea what that one is. Well, Rob, Rob and I theorized when Jurassic World came out, we did the initial review for that. There was uh, there was some question, or maybe it was the second one. It was the second one that we did the review of initially, Rob. And we spent quite a lot of time just trying to figure out how Mosasaurus survived for three years in his tank. <laughs> well, is this the, the food fish source. one? Yeah, the giant, yeah, the giant fish one. Yeah, it's the giant. It's the giant fish reptile mm. underwater creature uh, who jumps up and eats the girl dangling from the pterodactyl. That one, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And anyway, so in the second Jurassic World movie, what was that one even called? Jurassic World: The Lost World. Jurassic, Jurassic: The Lost. Anyway, that <laughs> Jurassic well, World: Lost Revenue versus the first film. <laughs> Anyway, so so here we have probably what? Like, Jurassic like a, Park Disney acquisition. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. It's like a 20-ton beast, 25-ton beast that lives in a tank in a park with no one there to feed it. And and the tank okay. is connected to the ocean. So I think the, 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 the result we came to was we sort of surmised that, well, maybe there's a steady supply of krill that make their way into the tank from the open ocean. Maybe, uh, maybe you know, every couple of months, you know, because he's a reptile. He doesn't so eat every day. Maybe there maybe is a... a pretty logical answer here, and that's that you know that huge pool that it lives in, that mini lake, if if you were, doesn't have. It could be a mini ecosystem. Animals, by and large, won't eat each other unless they are hungry. So, if while they were preparing that animal and they had, you know, the park was open, they could, in theory, have been feeding that animal so that it didn't eat the other animals inside. And the other animals would live there and it'd be a small little ecosystem. And you could look, look, that's not just the big fish, it's the other big fish. And however, once they stopped feeding it, it went, well, I got fish over here, so I'm going to eat those. So, it could have been eating those and their babies for the last. And created a little microcosm in there. Yeah, it could have. It could have. And also, the the beginning of the movie is that little submersible that's underwater, and they don't show anything but the mosasaurus, which they encounter toward the end of it. Uh, the, that yeah. sequence. So I I suspect the mosasaurus is just very very hungry, which is why it ultimately attacks and and gets its first meal in probably quite a while. So anyway, the reason why I ask about mosasaurus is because he's on the poster uh, that was released for the film. At least the the image uh, advertising the film. It's called Jurassic World dominion and it's all about dinos being out and about in the world and uh, i thought the last movie didn't do so well uh it did well i mean well is a relative term for jurassic park films because it still did like 1.3 billion but the original jurassic world did like 1.9 billion i think so so it did have a diminished return versus the first jurassic world but so that's still reviews weren't great but it made enough money to make another movie oh it made so much money just a a absurd amount of money 1.3 billion so uh yeah they should be ashamed of oh yeah they made their budget back like over 400 (laughs) percent like they're they're good and uh, anyway so there's gonna be another one um now, the interesting thing about this is Colin Trevorrow is coming back to direct. Uh, he, he's going to actually make our news beat another time in this episode as well, interestingly. So Colin Trevorrow, of course, is the director of the first Jurassic World, not the second. Uh, so the one that did a bit better, that was Colin Trevorrow. He definitely helped sort of kickstart the franchise Ooh. again. With Steven Spielberg. I'm director. pretty sure yeah, Jurassic producer. World was the second movie of the first series. That's uh, the second movie. Of the first series was Jurassic Park Two: Lost World. Right, it's called Lost World. Right. Yeah, right. and then there was just Jurassic Park I I I, and then there was uh, Jurassic World. Uh, I, I. And then there was the the whatever. I, I honestly cannot remember what the last one was before this one. So they were both called Jurassic World. 
it made no sense. All I know is they released a bunch of animals. Fallen Kingdom. Remember, Fallen Kingdom. That's it. Yeah. Yep. Didn't they release the ant, the dinosaurs into like the human world by the end of the second one to save them? Yes, they they did release them out into the open world. And in fact, the final one, I can't remember if it's an after credits roll or right before the credits roll. There's like a velociraptor who's like running along the top of a ridge above like a town, like somewhere out in out so, west of the Mississippi, which I understand is a large region, but they don't really specify where it is. There is an interesting. <laughs> have you ever heard of the trolley train? Uh, concept? No, I have not. Or theory. So the trolley train concept is if you have a train that's barreling forward, and at some point it splits off into a Y into two train tracks. If you do not touch, and you are given an opportunity, this train is going forward, and you have a switch that can switch the tracks. On one track is five people. On the other track, which it's not, so if you don't touch that switch, it's going to barrel through five people and kill all five. But if you do flick the switch, it'll kill one. So the uh, idea is in the mentality state of, listen, you are physically acting upon that switch and killing one person. Whereas the other one, if you did nothing, it's not your, it's mentally disconnected, but it's killed five people. And the question is, what is the greater good? What is the better choice to make? Is this an situation? allegory for feeding Chris Pratt to the Velociraptors? No, it's an idea that at the end of the movie of Jurassic uh, Fallen Kingdom, they fucked up because the greater good is to have killed the dinosaurs. Now those dinosaurs are going to die because you know the military is going to show up. Listen, dinosaurs are people annihilate too. Okay, them. dinosaurs are people too, and that's what they're trying you to get. No, the they're not. Film. They're dinosaurs. That's literally why they're no, not no, called people. Dinosaurs are people too, and also cloned cloned dinosaur children who are human are also people too. Okay, yeah. So that's that's yeah. what the second movie was getting at. That's what no, they're monsters getting. for doing that. They are terrible, <laughs> terrible human beings for making that choice. I get it. The people ahead of them were even worse, but that doesn't make your decisions better. Because all you've done is condemned how many families to lose their childrens and mothers and cops and random ass old people on the street that can't run away. And then the military is going to come in and kill the dinosaurs anyway. So all you've done is murder a bunch of innocents. That's look, all you've done. Look, as long as they can manage to write a script that ultimately sets up some asshole paramilitary dude with with big guns and kind of an asshole attitude to get trapped in a cage and get his arms ripped off by another like nasty looking dinosaur i'm good with it i'll pay to see it again that's always a good oh, time God. <laughs> oh no 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 they're not gonna do that so and to prove it i have i have more details here. <laughs> uh so <laughs> the thing you're saying doesn't make sense it just doesn't make any <laughs> rob they want to make money not sense rob, listen here's 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 what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna bring back Chris Pratt. We're gonna bring back we're gonna bring back Bryce Dallas Howard. We're gonna bring back Jeff Goldblum. We're gonna bring back Laura Dern. We're gonna bring back Sam Neill. We're gonna bring them all back and do a big fucking Jurassic blowout. How does that sound? Yeah, we're not a single one of them has learned their lesson at all throughout all of this. <laughs> Well, no, I'm sure you'll have Jeff Goldblum somewhere on there. Well, not life always finds a way. Like I'm sure he's gonna, I'm sure he's gonna be in it. Echo his favorite line again. Oh my god, if they could just shoehorn that in somehow, that'd be great. Anyway, oh, the series needs to die like the dinosaurs. Yeah, interestingly, uh, Colin Trevorrow coming back to direct this. Uh, it seemed like maybe maybe there's no love lost in him leaving 
Disney after the snafu of Star Wars 9, which we'll actually get to in a minute, just regarding some other news. But it's interesting to see him go back to another AAA franchise uh, after after that situation. So it's just it's well, interesting, given given the other news money. that we'll get to in a minute about what has come out about Colin Trevorrow in the last week, that all of a sudden now he's back and 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 sort of in the spotlight with another AAA franchise. Anyway, it's called money. It, 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 that matters. It definitely does. Uh, so let's see. Side question for you guys. With Bryce Dallas Howard now returning to direct for The Mandalorian Season 2, do you think it would be cool if she brought in Chris Pratt to play a part in the Star Wars universe? You'd be down? Adam? I, I don't particularly have... Chris Pratt isn't a bad actor. He's just Jurassic World is bad. Oh, I quite so, like him. I, I really yeah, I, like him. I think he's great as Star-Lord. Yeah. Like, I think he killed it as Star-Lord. So, yeah, I, honestly, I think he'd be great to play either, like, a cameo or, like, a main part in one of the episodes. Uh, if Yeah, I think he'd be fine with a cameo. I think he would have to not be the Star-Lord character, though. That's the problem is everyone would want him to be Star-Lord. Uh, bad news. You need him to be a serious character. Bad news. He that, only so. plays versions of Star-Lord. So that's the problem. That's all he ever does. <laughs> so can will will a version of Star Lord make sense in this movie? <laughs> he always plays a character with a quirky sense of comedy. Like he's always a comedic character. He needs to not be a comedic character. Oh, he's he's absurdly entertaining as a comedic character though. So he does a good job. He does a good job. So Chris Pratt, I hope you do make it into the bando uh, with your best buddy, Bryce Dallas Howard. Anyway, and speaking of Star Wars news, a dump of concept art hit the web this week that was confirmed to be from the planning stages by Colin Trevorrow of Colin Trevorrow's abandoned Star Wars 9 project, uh, which is pretty crazy. And if his if his version of 9 turned out the way these, these images show, honestly, it would have been one of the best films uh, made in the Star Wars universe, I believe. Uh, and it was actually Trevor himself who confirmed uh, the authenticity of the concept photos. So pretty wild. You guys saw those, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, what was your take on them? This is directly from Trevor's script for Nine. It actually says, uh, so there's the image of, of Hux committing seppuku with a, with a red lightsaber. And it says, once it becomes clear the First Order is losing the Battle of Coruscant, which is another big reveal for this script, Hux pulls out a purple lightsaber and commits seppuku. So purple lightsaber, maybe even suggestive that this was Mace Windu's lightsaber, uh, even though in the image they show a, a red lightsaber. But uh, the I line... will admit, while I think that's a cool idea, I don't think that fits his character. I personally believe that he, because he, his, honestly, one of his defining characteristics is he's a coward. And mm -hmm. I personally think that as a coward, he wouldn't have it in him to commit suicide. Well, I don't know. I think I think he wasn't a coward. I most human beings can't do that. Even those who'd consider them a coward, it's it, it is. I don't think. I think he is so cowardly that he it would be better off, more in line with his character, to see him try to barter, which he'll fail to do. Go through all the steps, get tortured, whatever the case is. But he couldn't do it because he's too much of a coward. He can't pull through on anything else. He wouldn't be able to pull through on this. Well, I mean, Maybe he might try to do it and then stop at the last second because he just doesn't have the balls. They took that direction with his character though in the, in the second film, not in the first. Yeah, he was, but they turned yeah, him into a little bitch true. in the second one. Yeah. Well, the, I think they they started to define the coward in. Uh, I mean, he in mostly the second movie yeah, they Last started Jedi. to define yeah. it, and then they kind of hammered down it on on the third one. They kind of just went. Yeah, 
at the end he gets put into his place pretty hard. So like yeah. by by uh by Kylo Ren. So anyway, some other ones that, that we should talk about though is Ray with the double bladed lightsaber. It's a hybrid of her staff and a Skywalker saber on a Star Destroyer, and she's wearing the same outfit Luke Skywalker did uh on the Death Star, actually, in Return of the Jedi with it's the black outfit with like the the the, the collar turned out, the gray collar turned out, um over over her chest. Looks awesome. This would be so sweet to see. Oh, yeah. They even have like a version one, version two situation in here where there, there was even two versions of the script and they kind of describe um, events with both of them. Uh, there's some other planets in here. I don't know. Was was Bonadon? Was that a planet that you knew of, Rob, or had ever heard of? Because that's apparently where Poe had lived. In, so that, that would have been an original planet just for this film. Uh, looks like a cool planet, though. It's, it's a shame to see, you know, we get to see that uh, fleshed out in the film version. Um Let's see. All kinds of things going on, though, throughout these photos. You should definitely take a look. I guess Finn sort of rallies the people who live in the under the underbelly of Coruscant to fight back against the First Order. That's his major story arc. Uh, Ray is Ray is fighting this massive Rancor looking creature uh, in the forest. Um, they're using old ATSTs and outfitting them like Mad Max style to fight against the First Order as well, which is pretty badass. <laughs> Uh, R2 gets shot in the head and dies in this script uh, and then gets carried. That would have been very dramatic and it gets carried away by Chewbacca. Uh, let's see. Ray and Kylo fight. Ray's fighting with a double bladed lightsaber uh, and they're fighting on the Sith temple on Mortis, which uh, is where apparently Kylo Ren trains in, in the Sith arts to become an actual Sith Lord. And uh, let's see. Luke shows up in ethereal form in, in light form to block Kylo Ren's lightsaber by grabbing the blade with his hand. Uh, there's a whole sequence where they're running from, they're fighting and running from um, the Knights of Ren. And then in one shot, it shows Chewbacca and it says the caption, Chewie grabs this Knight of Ren, throws him into the air and shoots him out of the sky like a clay pigeon, <laughs> which is the fucking sweetest That's idea. a cool description. Why did they not do this in the film? Oh, my God. And then, uh, yeah, all kinds of little arcs in here, though, that it kind of describes uh, that are very impressive. Honestly, I'm really disappointed we did not get this version or something closer to this version of the final script and, and the final film. Because this is this is um, all about uh, Kylo and Rey ascending to the heights uh, of what they can become. It looks like it takes place maybe even over a longer period of time. Uh, Kylo Ren definitely becomes like a full on Sith Lord, like full on Sith Lord. There's a great, great sequence of Ray lifting, uh, the, the, a crashed Millennium Falcon from this frozen bog. Uh, and yeah, and then it actually ends on a shot of Ray training the next generation of Jedi. So honestly, like I, I'm, I'm kind of blown away and I'm really questioning now the separation of Trevorrow from, uh, Star Wars and thinking that this was all politics and maybe Kathleen Kennedy's doing or even J.J. Abrams doing uh, because I, I genuinely thought that this would be more akin to the film that J.J. would have delivered. But I, but a, a, as we can see now, uh, the version we got is probably the one that was just sort of forced. <laughs> like, this is the one that's happening, whether you like it or not. And, uh, and I'm curious, what kind of egos were at play when that went down? I honestly... If Trevor's film is the one we got, like I would rather have that as canon than what we got. Like it, it looks 
much better, and it's a way better story arc for for the two main characters of of the sequel franchise. So I, I thought it did to be a, fair, a lot of respect. I'm pretty sure that if you were to take out you know tiny little chunks of what is the legitimate script and concept art, it would look cooler as well because I'm sure their concept art looked fucking rad, and I'm sure their script of oh. Um, I, I don't know. I can't think of a particular moment, but Ray and Finn, you know, fly through a frost place. You know, I, it sounds just as cool as throwing someone like a clay pigeon. But dude, I, I don't think so. Though. I don't great. think there's any way, for instance, in The Last Jedi, I don't think there was any concept art that made what happened on Canto Bite look cool. There's no I'm way sure there's because it was a to... lame fucking scene. Like, <laughs> not, not not to say that every image is super exciting from from this image dump here, but uh, certainly uh, a lot better than what we got. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, dead end. Yeah, yeah. Whew. boy, did they ever? Did they ever fill up? Oh yeah, the God. the original Star Wars were drama in space. They were glorified soap opera, whereas the I mean, at least the prequels, the prequels definitely had that soap opera thing going. Sure. But they were very much, as they went on, they became more action-oriented. In the first one, it was soap opera on a government level. And that's what people didn't like about it. It was, it was like, okay, we're not, we, it's not that we, you stopped caring about the characters individually. And there was this whole galactic thing. You're like, no one cares about the Senate. We care about the characters. And that's where they failed. But it was still a soap opera. It was just a galactic soap opera. Well, the Trade Federation was was my favorite character from the prequels, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) These last movies have been action. They're they're action movies. They're not drama. So you don't see character growth. You don't see character change. You don't see these characters with a certain type of characteristic, a certain type of personality, being put in a situation where it challenges those features. And then you get the interest question of, well, what does this character do? Right? Just like the classic Han... Han is put into a situation where he can just run away free. What is he? Who is he really as a character? Oh, well, he's clearly a hero, whether or not he likes it. Because he, he, like he, he was given the option to make a choice, right? In, in, yeah, in and it's, kind of, it's not too dissimilar from the Marvel's Iron Man where he's given a choice to go and hide, but he can't help himself but help. He doesn't want to. He has to work really hard at actually not helping. Yeah. And you don't get those moments in the new movies. They're, you know the characters are the heroes. You know they're going to do what they're going to do. That's not the point. They're superhero movies in a sci-fi universe. And they don't really get a chance to make any choices, you know, through, throughout the sequel films. Like, it's all sort of on the rails, yeah. and, and, and it's really rocking and rolling fast and furious, and there's some good action. But, yeah, it, it, you're correct in the sense that, yeah, it's just it's those character-defining moments just don't really exist for the sequel film characters in, in many ways, and uh, which is really disappointing because they had... A lot of film and a lot of money to make it happen. So anyway, uh, I guess it's good then that they're kind of handing off the reins of Star Wars to the likes of, you know, Dave Floney, John Favreau, Taika Waititi, uh, you know, even the other directors, you know, the Bryce Dallas Howards of the world who are working on Mando uh, with those guys. I'm pretty excited about this. And last week's news of Taika Waititi getting his own Star Wars film to write and develop as well is oh, is, is yeah. going to be amazing. And, and I cannot wait to see his take on, on, on it in film format. Uh, one last bit of Star Wars news that we missed from last week was that Tamora Morrison. Oh, and this is spoiler warning here. Uh, so spoiler warning, spoiler alert, potential spoiler alert for Mando season two. So tune out for the next two minutes if you don't want to hear about it. But uh, Tamora Morrison actually played Jango Fett in the various and various clones in the prequel trilogy for Star Wars. He is returning as da da Boba Fett in Mandalorian season two. 
which is really good news. I find it strange that he's still alive. The character, I mean. Oh, because he got swallowed by the Sarlacc? No, I it just... it. This is after, right? This is supposed to take place between the original series and the new sequel. Six right? or seven years after he fell into the so Sarlacc. I, I figured he would have just been dead at this point. Yeah, dude. Yeah. A, a week a week in the belly of a Sarlacc is just like a day at the spa for him. Like, he's good, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just a chance to decompress, you know, really take his time with life, slow things down. That's what he had the opportunity to do when he fell back into the Sarlacc. So I think, uh, you know, if anything, uh, Han did him uh, a real favor. And that's that's very kind of him. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Tamar Morrison, very, very good news for that, I would say. And uh, that does... Uh, that is the news that I have. So I don't know. What other news beats you guys got? Uh, come on, you don't have the the big important news. So there's this bullshit thing that came up where everyone... So they, there was some concept art. Again, we're talking about concept art. Uh, you reminded me. There was this concept art came out for what was going to be the uh, one of the original incarnations of Diablo 3. And it was dark and grittier. And everyone's like, oh, did you know that there was going to be a darker, grittier? Of course there fucking was. They probably play tested. A shit ton of art styles. Hmm. Are you fucking insane? Of course they had a darker version. <laughs> Interesting. Like what? So, and, and obviously with, with uh, you know, the Blizzard slash Diablo crowd, I would assume they'd want the darkest take possible. Yeah, they changed their minds, but that's that's a whole different story. <laughs> it's just hilarious that they, they fucking thought that, well, you know, that didn't matter. Like, oh, like there, like there wasn't going to be that concept art. In existence. Yeah. It's just stupid. You know what? I blame it on Kathleen Kennedy. So let's just blame it on her. Uh, all all of the concept art that's cool that didn't come to fruition, we blame on Kathleen Kennedy. So, or at least I do. I don't know where you guys stand on that one. <laughs> blame Kathleen. <laughs> Did we mention uh, Tony Hawk? Oh, the remake? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're they're, re- they're redoing. They got a... Uh, is it a remake? Yeah, it's a remake, right? Yeah, I think we it's talked about it. Game? I thought it was. I think we talked about it last week, didn't we? Because Vicarious, oh, okay. Vicarious Visions is working on it, uh, and then yeah, and okay. then yeah, I had this whole bit on Vicarious Visions that we did twice because we lost the recording, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was not as funny the second time around. I can tell you that uh, it was an abandoned. So I, <laughs> oh, I, like I do have Anthem... a different piece of Tony Hawk news though. Before you move on, um, oh, cool. so actually, this last week, his what was it nine twenty or 940 spin record was actually beat by an 11 year old and it was on film. So it's official now. An 11 year old did uh, a 1080. So officially uh, the first to complete a 1080 in, in a professional setting. So it was an 11 year old skating prodigy and I wish I could say his name. I, I can't remember what it was, uh, but uh, yeah, pretty big news that someone actually managed an 11 year old beat the Hawkman. <laughs> That's the only reason he's able to do it because his body can take the hit from the fall of failing a million times and still just get back up and try again and heal. Oh, turn- Every other old person trying to do it, they fall once and like, oh, God, that's going to hurt for three months. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that maybe it was going to end up being like some like um, uh, tech demo for the actual Tony Hawk games coming out. I'm like, oh, they're probably going to say it was like the super high quality graphics and this is just part of the game and this was all fake or something. But no, oh, it's actually real. So there wasn't it wasn't like a stunt pulled for anything other than this kid wanted to beat Tony Hawk and he did. So yeah, it was pretty awesome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely perfect timing. Yeah. Cool. So um obviously we remember the uh rags to riches tale of Final Fantasy A Realm Reborn. <laughs> yes. It's- 
<laughs> I think Rob and I pretty much agree that it they they did a great job. I'm pretty sure Rob and I have talked about this in the past where we're it's impressive. It, they took a game that was for all intents and purposes absolute fucking trash. Yep. And turned it into one of the best games that there one of the best MMOs there is. Yeah, we've talked about it on on here a couple times. Yeah. And so it looks like the team at Anthem has put together a mini team of like 30 people, approximately 30 people, to kind of pull a realm uh, Anthem Reborn. Whoa. Um, yeah, they're not, they just talked about the team. They just sort of put it together within the last few weeks or whatever. Or at least they just announced the team within the last few weeks. Uh, so they're saying it is going to take time. They're like, hey, it's going to be a long process. Don't expect it anytime soon. But they've got these 30 teams that they're, the point of this team is to take Anthem and go, how the fuck do we fix this thing? We don't know, but the point is that's definitely where they're going. It looks like that's, they are not shitting the bed. They are not giving up on it. They are going to give it Anthem 2.0. They're going to try it out. Honestly, that's pretty crazy. Wow. I'm, I'm blown away. No the, no, the EA move would have been sell them some loot boxes. Just sell them more loot boxes. <laughs> That's what was so impressive to me is I looked at that and went, whoa, 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 this is, yeah, that's not EA. That's very interesting. Wow. So I thought that was a pretty neat little, that's strange. It's positive. Information that I it's came across. positive bit of news. So there you go. That's my main, that, that's the big one. I don't, oh, well, hardware wise, one thing that kind of disappointed me. So they were discussing Xbox. So the Xbox Series X between the, the new consoles has the better... Uh, specs if you calculate it all together if you do all the work it is fairly minor but it is the better specs and it looks like they said that the standard what they're hoping that all developers are going to match is 60 frames per second but it's not mandatory and it is not looking that even assassin's creed valhalla will uh hit 60 frames per second so again another win for pc because you know pc master race I don't know who plays under 60 frames per second. You're fucking monsters. I think uh, I think they're not calling it the Series X anymore. It's all just abbreviated. I think it's just S- Xbox SEX now. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it is. Yes, you're right. Yeah, yeah, the, the it's Xbox SEX. the Xbox X. No, no, the Xbox yes, SEX. Be- yeah, no, 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 yeah, 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 yeah got it. And they're giant, they're putting a giant, like a, a, a pocket, a pocket pussy on there or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. The logo is like, like the logo is like an infinity symbol with nips. <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of logos, the uh, the PlayStation Studio. So the PlayStation um, like internal studio group that uh, that makes you know uh, what sort of first party games, if you will. They are they changed their logo and changed their name. They are officially called uh, PlayStation Studios. I think really uh, is that what it was called? Oh, Play- that's or Sony cool. Studios. And they got their own new logo. Kind of like uh, they, they took a branding from Xbox. So it looks like they're trying to learn a lot from Microsoft. Yeah, probably. They're going to have to for this next gen. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see that. I, I honestly had no idea. I have to look up this logo now. <laughs> PlayStation. It's not very special. Don't don't get your your hopes up too much. You know what? I'm looking um, at it now and I think it's very special. So I'm digging on it. <laughs> uh, speaking of 30 frames per second... Um, Nintendo revealed the new Paper Mario. <laughs> yeah, for the Switch. That's right. Yeah, it actually, I think it looks cool. Like I'm, I'm game for yeah, that Paper Mario. Pr- it looks pretty baller. There's a new, the Origami King is the new villain. Yep. And it looks like he wants to fold the world. Son of a bitch. He's not going to fold my world. 
the video looks the the demo looks absolutely fantastic it's quite quite exciting on a side note, uh, so, yeah. totally totally tangential. Uh, did you know that the creative director for that game company who made Journey and Flower, their name is Genova Chen? Jesus. How is that even a real name? That is so bizarre. Anyway, moving on. Should we get into the should we get into the bit uh the uh most meaningful games bit okay cool yeah go for it all right well we'll get into the most meaningful games portion of the episode now and and the challenge was for us to pick uh each our five most meaningful games from a history of gaming uh as we know it and of course these options are going to be very individualized uh per per myself and per adam and rob i think you want to go next week and the idea is just to kind of get at the games that were really formative to our gaming experience, maybe even our lives overall, uh, depending on when, when they occurred. So I, I, I got my list here. I guess I'll go ahead and kick it off. Yeah, go for it. And, and, and uh, I will make this even more exciting than when we did the rehearsal, as Rob now calls it. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's, it, is, it is lost to the ages. So anyway... Um, I organized my list by most influential games from oldest to newest. So kind of going furthest back uh, in, in gaming to, to the most recent. And certainly I've been gaming since I was, you know, I can remember when my dad brought home the original NES. This would have been like 1988, 89-ish when we finally got an NES. And I remember him bringing that home. Uh, I also remember him having, I um, can't remember what it's called, the Magnavox one uh, with the tape. It was like t loaded with cassette tapes and games were on the cassette tapes and you had to play them back for the system to actually load them crazy stuff but that's how some of that stuff worked back then or maybe it was in television and uh these ones are definitely coming a little bit after that so the first one on my list actually came out in 1993 initially and in 1994 on pc as the as the uh complete edition but SimCity 2000 skirk and that's the SimCity 2000 urban renewal kit and uh basically SimCity 2000 obviously the sim you know builder you, you could you could play the game and, and and sort of run a city as a mayor type situation or you could use the urban renewal kit to just build cities which i was all about because i'm not actually a fan of the sim city gameplay i'm not i'm not a huge player of sim city games but i loved the creative element of it so were you the kind of guy that you would uh, you would build the city and just cheat your way all the way through it and just say fuck this i'm building a city that makes no fucking sense i'm a child i have no idea how to do this and you would just sit there and watch people for hours and destroy their lives like after you've created a city what the fuck would you do no dude that create a new you, you there wouldn't be an end to it you would just keep creating for hours and hours and hours because it's not just the city itself you're like choosing where to like plant each arcology uh which are these big sort of city you know all-inclusive cities that you could build within your city and then you, they, they were like i don't know they were like towers see i don't know if people who so they were like self-sustaining buildings kind of yeah uh, i don't i don't know what but they could what, house like fifty thousand people so like I, I would sort of pick and choose where i would plant them and then uh and then it would go from there but it was I, dude i would build everything i would build the subways i would build the water infrastructure i would build the roads i would build everything like i built the entire power infrastructure uh for the entire city as well so it wasn't even just about you know placing buildings on a map for me it was about terraforming and then placing wow, buildings. Wait, even back then they had to put they had you do subways and oh, power yeah. lines and everything yeah like that. it had everything railroads subways wow. everything man 
That is crazy advanced. That's crazy. Yeah, and dude, I spend so much time just building the cities out over and over and over and trying to make them as creative as possible. And it was also my first iteration of getting to play online or having the influence of another gamer uh, remotely because this would have been like... Uh, I was probably most into it in like 96, 97-ish, and, and gaming online was becoming a bigger thing. And uh, I'd only recently seen Ultima Online for the first time, so I wasn't too familiar with, with online gaming in general. But you can actually download player-created map files from the internet to play in the Urban Renewal Kit. So you could see like what other people had created. And people had done like complete renditions of real cities, like you know Paris and New York with, with building sets that reflect those places. And just some of the crazy like sci-fi cities that people came up with and how they chose, chose to terraform the entire thing was really, really fascinating. So uh, I just remember, man, building it out and just having like, you know, waterfalls all over the place and rolling mountains and then like- and our- How many people made dick-shaped cities? So many, dude. So many, like half half the maps were all <laughs> cities and dick shapes. And you know what? That's cool, too, because people can be creative however they want. But uh, yeah, anyway, that was the first one. And actually, the crazy thing about SimCity 2000 and no game that I can think of today really does anything like this. But back then, man, Maxis was they, they before they were owned by EA. They were green lighting everything uh, that Will Wright bought to them. So, for instance, uh, along with SimCity 2000, there were a couple companion games uh, that I got as well. One was SimCopter, uh, which I know, Rob, you said you're a fan of as well. And SimCopter was basically uh, a simulation game where you are a helicopter pilot. And some of your main functions are like saving people and putting out fires and, and, and things like that. But you could actually play within the city that you created in SimCity 2000. And it was freaking phenomenal. It was so cool. That is pretty crazy. Now, you really need to get into the PC Master Race because have you ever played City Skylines? Uh, I know of it. I've watched some gameplay videos. It looks good. It looks good. So it, it's, no, it doesn't quite tickle that, eh? Yeah, I don't know. The there's there's something about there's just something about uh, the setup and simplicity of what SimCity 2000 was out to do. Uh, there was also Sim Racing, where you could race around the cities that you built. Uh, you know, this is even pre. That's really cool. You know, I'm trying to think of another open world racer that came out before Burnout Paradise. You know what I mean? This is like way before that, and uh, SimCity was doing it first. It was really just honestly a, a phenomenal game. Yeah, that would have been. Even um, six, uh, no, it would have been probably five or six years before even GTA 3 came out. So really just a, a very different take on uh, on gaming back then from Maxis and the SimCity 2000 series and sort of everything connected to that. But man, I just absolutely loved it. And it was just so much to discover. And uh, and, I, and I, just, I couldn't get enough of, you know, driving around my own city and exploring uh, what I had made. It was so cool. Or flying and crashing into things and burning the whole city down. Because I think there was even like, uh, Rob, wasn't there like an Apache or something you could get? Yeah, I think there was an Apache. You could just like fly around just torching your own city if you wanted to. Oh, and just, God. Like infinite missiles. I identify as Apache helicopter. <laughs> SimCity 2000 was definitely... Uh, one of my first major formative experiences in gaming, I would say. So very meaningful to me as, as a youth playing the game. Uh, let's see, next up is a very special one. So it, it's it's the only game out of the five that I chose as a JRPG because honestly, 
if I wasn't trying, I could have easily filled this list up in a split second with JRPGs that, that were very meaningful to me over the years. And uh, and some of these would include, you know, games from the Persona series, uh, Shin Megami Tensei, uh, certainly a lot of Final Fantasies and Chrono Trigger is, is, is very high up at the top. Uh, however, I did just narrow it down to one. And, and it's because of the cultural impact it had at the time and also the impact it had on me as a youth at the time being really you know, headlong diving into Japanese culture and anime culture, because that's kind of, that, that was the wave back in 1996, 97 is, is Dragon Ball Z first aired uh, in North America. So Final Fantasy VII, this was a very tough choice over Chrono Trigger, by the way. This was the first time I remember ever connecting with characters in a game on a narrative level. So because I just really sure, don't yeah. give a I'm shit I'm sure you about really it. connected with Tifa. I connected with her in my mind so much and so often uh, she, it was it was very meaningful to me, Adam. Very very meaningful to me, and uh, and tiring, so tiring, uh, connecting with her over and over. And uh, I really appreciated the heartfelt tapestry of stories that that sort of wove these very nuanced characters together in in, in an epic sweeping storyline. Uh, and honestly, I'd played lots of games prior to this where. There was a story, and I just really didn't give a shit. Like, I just, in, in most games even today, I just don't give a shit. I'll skip over a lot of stories. Um, but I'll tell you, when I played the Final Fantasy VII Remake, I watched every single cutscene, and, and I can't tell you the last time I played a game and watched every single cutscene, because I don't care. So I just don't care. About how oldish were you when you played this? Well, I was 13 when it came out. And you understood the story. No, nobody understood the story, Adam. That's the whole okay. point. That's what I was checking <laughs> on. Because <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I. You know, I've never played the game, but I've read a lot of wikis on it, and I still don't fucking understand it. So I could only imagine a thirteen-year-old mind being like, "Why life, planet Earth? Why this is very philosophical? I don't get it." No, it was more just about uh, how he had taken on a portion of Zach's persona to build his sort of ego of cloud like who he was and and it it wasn't it wasn't the same person as actually who he was uh but by the end of the game he ends up sort of realizing this and and sort of reconciling with with tifa who's kind of the main love interest left uh after of course the situation with Aerith. and uh, anyway it was just a great game and and i really enjoyed it actually my favorite side story in the game was actually Barrett's. I just, I really loved his sort of Western themed side story in the original. And it was very, very cool. And, and I really gravitated to that. And, uh, and, and I can't wait to play that as a remake version, hopefully, probably, uh, but we'll also include whispers because why not? And uh, anyway, so seven was definitely that game for me for, for RPGs in total. Uh, and again, like I could have named, man, there, there are just so many, you know, Suikoden, you know, Suikoden two comes to mind, uh, Grandia two, um, Dragon Quest Eight. Um, it just I could do RPGs. I could just keep going all day, all day. So your entire teen years were filled with JRPGs. Oh, so much, saying. so much, man. And all through my twenties, into my thirties, and even now, JRPGs. <laughs> <laughs> you weeb. Oh, I'm <laughs> such a weeb. And uh, continuing on 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 that theme of Japanese games, just not RPGs. The next one for me would have been Shadow of the Colossus. This came out in 2005, I believe, originally on the PS2. Um, and it was it was one of the latter games on the PS2, I remember. And a couple things really hit me about this game when I thought about it. One is just the technology of what they were able to achieve. Because holy shit, did they pump every last iota 
uh, of of prowess out of the PS2. Like this was a PS2 game that that probably should have debuted as a PS3 game because it was that good looking at the time. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys have an experience with that when you first uh, when when you were playing back then? Oh, in in a in a major way, and and honestly, the the setting in a game is is absolutely beautiful, and it's really a starkly empty setting and there wasn't much uh hud to speak of or any direction to offer on where your journey should take you other than other than your beam sword which kind of point you in the general direction of, of where you could find a colossi um but you didn't know why it guided you nor the nature of the colossi nor the reason why you were set on murdering them other than the fact that there's a girl in white at the beginning of the game who appeared to be dead uh so as you you as the player uh work through the game and there's a 18 Colossi? 16? 18? I forget. As you, as you kill them, you, you genuinely begin to feel bad because you're basically just, you know, like, intent on murdering all of the Colossi for your own gain. And there's these majestic creatures. They're absolutely massive. Uh, and as you scale them and bury your sword in their skulls, they cry out and writhe in pain and agony. So it's just, you genuinely feel bad for them. It, it's, not a, it's not a good feeling as, as you go deeper into the game and you realize what it is that you're doing and that thing is murder. See, for whatever reason, I don't remember being wowed or awed by that game. I thought it was interesting at the time. It was one of the, it still kind of is one of the only games with that set of mechanics or similar like it. But it, I was like, oh, that's interesting mechanics. But the graphics, it wasn't, wasn't particularly the highest fidelity of graphics, which is fine. That's not always the best. Um, but I, I don't know. I just didn't find it special i i played it when oh this is really interesting and then moved on with my life it didn't never stuck around with me yeah i never moved on with my life i'm still living in 2005 <laughs> <laughs> so anyway uh absolutely out of this world battles um uh it's still the, like adam was saying still kind of the only game that's doing battles that are just like that. In fact, uh, yeah. I, was, I almost went and purchased the HD remake earlier as I was thinking about it. And then I saw the HD remake of that was 30 bucks, but the complete edition of the Witcher three was on sale for 20 bucks. So guess what I bought? <laughs> so, <laughs> what? <yeah. laughs> Both? No, I went. I went and bought. Uh, I went and bought. Uh, 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 I don't know. Pokemon Sword. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I definitely. <laughs> but uh, maybe, maybe The Witcher will be that next game. The Witcher Three will be the next most meaningful game to me. Hello, listeners of Random Other Podcast. I'm your host Chris Cogswell here with my co-host Marie Mayhew. Hey, everybody. If you like podcasts, like whatever podcast this is, then come listen to the Mad Scientist Podcast, a weekly show on the history, philosophy, and hard science between fringe and paranormal claims. Marie, what are some topics we've covered in the past? We have covered UFOs. We've covered economic collapse. We have covered cats. We did cover cats pretty pretty Mm -hmm. distinctly. Yes. If you like podcasts and a little bit of humor and a little bit of singing and some cats, come listen to the Mad Scientist <laughs> podcast, please. Shoot. So moving moving back in time, uh, the next most meaningful game to me, this would have been circa 2000, 2008, 2008, I believe. Uh, Fallout 3 is the next one for me. And uh, honestly, another situation where you have a very stark 
open landscape, a little bit more life in this one, no, even though it's a post-apocalyptic setting. Uh, and it just really stuck with me at the time and really informed a lot of my media tastes and informed a lot of my music tastes and was just a very meaningful game to me in that regard. I, I, I just really enjoyed being in the post-apocalyptic setting and I don't know, just the sort of feeling of, 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 of aloneness, but also possibility and, and the sort of combination of those two things swirling around. Like it was just a really beautiful thing. And, and I don't know that any of the other Fallout games ever managed to capture it quite like Fallout 3 did. Uh, however, they're still good games in my opinion, but Fallout 3 just really took it to the next level for, for me for the first time anyway, as someone who never played 1 and 2. Yeah, I don't have much to say. Uh, I... I don't like those games at all. <laughs> well, Adam, again, they don't like you, buddy. They don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> they they are in in my I they are empty, glitchful. The story it's kind and this is generally my feeling with and I'm probably going to get a lot of hatred for this, but oh, <laughs> with the Elder Scrolls and Bethesda RPGs, as I feel like they are empty and i never quite understood why i didn't like them why i always got bored with them until i played breath of the wild i i used to think it was just that i hated open world games and then i played breath of the wild and went oh right this is what a world feels like when it's supposed to feel like a world got it and i just and i as soon as i realized that i immediately realized it's just that i don't like bethesda rpgs so i am sorry to say i i i I got nothing for you. Uh, it's one. tricky because like with the Bethesda games in general, including uh, Elder Scrolls V, which was a close second to Fallout 3 for me, uh, I play, I've probably played Skyrim more than any other game in existence, to be quite honest with you. Uh, but a lot of the things that happen are just very scripted, and it's and they're on the rails. So you cover vast distances to find these things, and when you do, it, the game is generally pretty entertaining, and some random stuff happens in between. But it's not because of a set of conditions that they've sort of set up in the game like they have with Breath of the Wild. In Breath of the Wild, there's just all these overlaying systems that sort of coexist in the game, and they tend to over overlap in really creative or, or, or hilarious ways, or even challenging ways, right, when it comes to, like, the, the, the temple and shrines and things like that and, uh, and and I think that's what Breath of the Wild did so well is just overlay some of these systems uh, in such a way that they they overlapped and intermeshed and intertwined and there's really nothing like that in Skyrim you know or, or even in a Fallout game everything just kind of lives as its own system it's own, and, and you engage with them at different points throughout the game but it's never really like you know, uh, part of Breath of the Wild, for instance, which is actually the final game on this on, on my list here, so I can I can speak to that one. And what Breath of the Wild did so well is they're able to take, you know, you find random, you know, rusty sword, you know, laying out on the ground somewhere. So you take the rusty sword. What can you do with the rusty sword? Well, you can you can equip it. It's weak. You'll get a few hits out of it, and then it'll break, and it'll be gone forever. Uh, or you could take it and you could toss it at an enemy during a lightning storm and then lightning will strike that sword and thus the enemy as you whip it at the enemy and it'll electrocute the enemy to death or you could take it and you could take that sword and equip it just as you battle an octorok and the octorok will suck in the sword uh, particularly the stone octorok i think and when it spits it back out at you it will be a fresh iron blade again uh, so it basically polishes the blade for you. And then you can take that and you can use it. You can sell it. You can do whatever you want with it. And, uh, or you can just, you know, mount it on a wall to look at, because that's another thing you can do in that game. And that to me is what made it so special. Breath of the Wild. Because all of these things and systems are all intertwined. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We jumped here. So 
are you telling me that your fifth and final game, because you just went, like, we, we're Fallout, Fallout 3, favorite, that was a big game for you, that, that was had a huge impact. Oh, yeah. That meant a lot to you. And then, so now are we saying that immediately Breath of the Wild is your fifth game? Well, yeah. That, that was the fifth game on my list, and you did a nice little transition into it, so here we are. Oh. Yeah. So and, Nice. And I think that's what Breath of the Wild did so well that impressed me so much uh, upon playing it, was just taking the systems and just really refining them to to the point where everything makes sense and and is necessary for the full enjoyment of the game but also intertwine them in such a way uh that you that you use that you feel compelled to use everything and and test everything out and and that was such a fun playground for one of those games and on the other side of the breath of the wild conversation for me and why in, in 2017 this really took the cake for me is because this this was a um it was it was a bit of a time of uncertainty in gaming for me, and and I hadn't really followed the development of this game up until the Switch came out, and then there was quite a lot of uh, you know review scores coming out as a perfect ten, and this game's amazing, and and I couldn't remember a time in the past, maybe since like you know N sixty four, realistically, where a game had uh, a system had launched with a, a a generational sort of defining game. And then here we were in 2017 in March, and and they they released Breath of the Wild, you know, day and date with the Nintendo Switch, <clears throat> and uh, and I picked it up, and and honestly, man, it to this day is is if not the best, it's one of the best overall experiences in gaming I've ever had. I, I was just absolutely and utterly astounded with with the scale of what they achieved and and the polish which they did it with, and uh, and just as a game, you know, it stands head and shoulders above. 99.9% of everything else out there. With no dandruff. And uh, what's that? With head and shoulders above with no dandruff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, and it's just interesting you bring up, you know, with the Bethesda titles, just how unpolished they are as open world titles, you know, and even systems that don't really even overlap. But then you have a game like Breath of the Wild where the systems do overlap. It's on a much less powerful machine, being the Nintendo Switch, and they made it fucking perfect. It's a perfect fucking yeah. game. And 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 that just really that that just blew my mind, and it still kind of does. That 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 level of polish can be out there. That level of love for detail can be out there, and 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 that level of of uh, sort of um, personal responsibility to to your fans and the people who are going to purchase your product. And and I don't think that's really been duplicated since then. You see it with stuff like no. you know God of War. Uh, maybe Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, the first party Sony titles, you tend to see some of that take effect. But Breath of the Wild just took it to a whole nother level. And and I think it's going to be a long time before a game comes out with just that that sheer level of polish. You know, at least that style of game. Like for JRPGs, you got oh, like, for sure. you know, the Final Fantasy VII remakes Most... of the world and Persona 5s. But man, for that type of game, I just don't think. I think Breath of the Wild has changed the landscape for a lot of people because I think it's it's a very good, meaningful one for you to have there because I think it changed for a lot of people. There's been almost this acceptance of, oh, it's open world means there's a lot of content means, you know what? You're going to have glitches. It's going to be on polished. That's just that's just the nature of the beast. Now the world has changed. Whenever someone goes, well, you can't make a clear and clean, polished uh, open world, you just point it. You just point at Zelda and go, yeah, they did. So why the fuck can't exactly. you figure it out? Exactly. And they did it on a machine that's much less powerful. Like we're talking about, you know, even even with like, you know, the PlayStation 4 and, and, and Xbox One, those are already more powerful systems than the Switch. <laughs> 
they already are. I, and, and we're talking about I for do. next next gen and PS5 and, and you know the Xbox SEX and uh, and man, what what they're going to be able to achieve on those should be astronomically higher. And you know that that is yet to be shown. So. I do have it's. I will admit that Breath of the Wild is not on my list, but I do have to admit that there. I have sinned against that game. <laughs> Rob knows this, so Rob, out of the two of us, was obviously the first to get the Switch. He's usually the first adopter of new technologies, mm-hmm. true. out of anyone that I know. True. And so he picked it up. Literally launch day, we went to his place. We played two games. One of them was I forget the name of it. What's the one that came with it? Where it has like the mini games. One two switch. That's it. So we had one two switch. Realized that sucks. Uh, it was a shittier. It was, was. You remember like Wii Sports was fantastic oh, when it came out. It was some of the game. best things on. Yeah. It. Yeah. It, one two switch sucked. And then Rob goes, "Well, there's this uh, Zelda game. We could try this out." So okay, we threw in Zelda. We immediately went and fought some stone golem. We went. This is stupid and hard, and weapons only last for so long. Rob was like, Rob in love the game, and I. Thought it was the worst thing on the face of the planet. I was pissed. And that's why Wii Sports is the sixth game on my list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Got to get the kick enough of that bowling, right? So, anyway, that, that is my top five list. Uh, I, I hereby I hereby conclude it. I'm making the cross in midair <laughs> as I say this. Uh, this this holiest of lists. And, uh, and those games were all very meaningful to me. So, anyway, I hereby pass the torch to Adam. Uh, actually, I'm gonna wait till next week. What? Oh, you're gonna you're gonna leave me leave me waiting. I am I am just dying to hear somebody else's list, and uh, and, and uh, I'm very I'm very glad we got the chance to do this again today. Yeah, we want to. Oh, pause pause recording. Oh no, let's let's you and I keep recording, and 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 I can time sync Rob's. I see he dropped out. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, fair enough. So yeah, no, I'm gonna do mine next week. We'll talk about ours next week. Uh, we can go into quick some playing and watching. Yeah, um, I think we should do some playing and watching. Uh, yeah, I, I might have something to talk about as well. Okay, so we've got Rob's gone right now, so he won't he won't be committing to this one. His computer just crashed, so this will be just you and me, just you and me, Alex. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rob Rob will bring his on later, like he always does. <laughs> so. <laughs> Because he's always the last one to clear so because he plays the most. So I just finished. It is actually sad that Rob's not here for this one, but I just rewatched Pacific Rim Uprising, the second yeah. one. I I didn't don't think I liked it the first one because I oh this is stupid the acting is bad so on and so forth. Uh, but I really enjoyed it yes okay i'm i'm on board i think they're both really fun films and uh and and i think it is about the the enjoyment factor so what what did you like about it uh so since i had last watched pacific rim i have watched uh evangelion i have watched gurren Logan, and <laughs> oh i have watched and I've watched it. So this is, I mean, don't worry, this is within the last week. I'm just saying since the last time that I watched Pacific, uh, one of the Pacific So you've Rim just movies, watched all the this, mech stuff that's like better. <laughs> yeah. And I looked back at this movie and realized how honestly true to anime mecha it is. Totally. totally. It is terrible teenager emotions <laughs> mixed with robot battles. And that's all it fucking is. Logic doesn't need to be there. Physics logic is useless. Get that out of there. No one likes that. 
<laughs> and it's all about the drama and the bullshit emotions. And that's exactly what this movie is. And once you take that context and you realize that the source material that it's pulling from and you realize how accurately it kept to that source material, you realize kind of how good it is for what it's trying to be. Yeah, I think, uh, I, you know, so the original one was actually made by um, uh, Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro. Uh, Benicio del Toro. Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro. yeah, Guillermo del Toro. And uh, honestly, I think I think it was a pretty solid film, but he that was the inspiration behind it was the mecha anime, I believe. And you can actually see this with, with other directors who are taking on some of these more, uh, you know, classic anime properties and trying to update them and, and turn them into something new for, for live action film. Uh, I remember thinking the same about Battle Angel Alita as well with Robert Rodriguez directing and uh, and thinking like, wow, like he must genuinely be a fan of the manga or the anime or, or, or something along those lines because it seemed very faithful uh, to what they tried to achieve in, in, in the manga. So so similar to that, I, I think they definitely did the same with uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. Oh, for sure. They did a, they did a good job. I, I, he was producing this one. Did he direct the first one? He directed the first one. He was producer on the second. Stephen DeKnight yeah. was, uh, was the director on the second one. It actually made yes. money, which is good, the second one. Uh, came in and that's why star wars episode 8 is the best star wars of all time <laughs> for those who don't realize rob just rejoined <laughs> us <laughs> i was waiting i was um, waiting for the thing so anyway yeah steven denight directed the second pacific rim and he also did um Mm, why did why did i just uh spartacus so he was on spartacus uh various spartacus projects the the hbo series or stars stars yeah yeah yeah. the the names i'm sorry i'm laughing the names of these are just hilarious uh but uh (laughs) (laughs) anyway i'm just i'm thinking of lucy lawless as well and uh just really enjoying that but um yeah anyway man uh pacific rim 2 hell yeah that's sweet yeah great I, i liked it um and then the I, I've been continuing my road on Monster Hunter. It's been continuously fun. So I started a new thing that I really enjoy about Monster Hunter. You can only participate in teams of four. You can only go hunt in teams of four. Mm-hmm. But they uh, they did this with Cole of Tiroth in a, in prior. But this is my first time experiencing it, which is this raid. So you get into this session where effectively it creates three teams of four. You go in as three teams of four. You go hunt this monster, and what happens is there's three levels, and I mean they're like physical levels, three different physical arenas, and each of these arenas has an associated energy level, and what happens is as you're killing the monster, it eventually gets to 50% health, and it will then suck up the energy from that arena to heal itself. So the idea is you have to fight it, make it suck up energy, and then eventually it'll move on to the next arena. And then you have to fight it, make it suck up energy from Damn. that arena, and then move on to the third one and make it suck up. Well, what happens is you only have about 20 minutes to fight this thing. You, the first time you go to fight it, unless you're super end game, high end tier armor, and you're some god god tier character. Unless, if you're just a normie like me, you're not going to kill it the first time. You don't, you're not going to kill it within 20 minutes. So you're going to fight that whole 20 minutes and it's going to get away. But what's happened is you've 
broken its wing, perhaps, maybe broken an arm, because you can break certain parts of the creature, mm-hmm. uh, broken its tail, broken its face. You've damaged it in some way. And all of those points adds up, and the amount of time that it sucked energy from the different arenas all adds up. So you get out of that arena, and the actions of the other two teams will ultimately reduce the energy in those arenas as well. So you're working together to reduce this creature and eventually you'll go back and all the energy will be reduced. All of its part will be broken. The parts broken determines how much, how, what your rewards are at the end, the more parts you break. But so as you drain the energy, eventually this thing can't heal and you are capable then of killing it within the 20 minute mark and you kill it. And depending on how well you did by breaking certain parts as a team, as a cohesive team, all three teams, you get more rewards. So it's a mini raid. It's like a strange raid version. Huh. Which is really cool. That's wild. Yeah. It's quite fun to team up with a bunch of randos on like you are in your own little party with your friends, but you're also helping other people. And what are are the incentives for for going through one of those battles? Is it just more more like parts to build gear or is there something else to it? Yeah, it's loot. In this case, it's you actually get a weapon, but you get... Uh, some pretty cool stuff. You get you get a different weapon. Oh. What happens is you get given a list of weapons, and you actually get to choose like three of those randomly generated weapons. Okay, gotcha. gotcha. Um, to make to, to become your own, and then you get gear that allows you to awaken those weapons, and it keeps leveling up and keeps leveling up. But yeah, it's a cool little feature. I've been doing that. Um, I've recruited a new soldier, my cousin who I play games with. Uh, he has recently just joined us today, so he's just started. Rob, that's another person that's in before you. Um, if you're keeping count, that's uh, like three people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's <laughs> been fun. It's been great. Hell yeah, man. Um, that's pretty much it. The That movie and that. Yeah. That's it for my playing and watching. What you got, Alex? Um... Well, let's see. Yeah, still getting caught up in Rick and Morty. In fact, I just watched the the latest new episode today. I don't know if I ever laughed harder at an episode of Rick and Morty uh, than I laughed at this. Is one. Is this the one that was released yesterday? Yeah. Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, you have It's it's okay. freaking good, man. I laughed pretty damn hard throughout, and it was <laughs> it was like some of the darkest humor uh, that I've seen in that show, and in a show full of dark humor. Uh, so I think I think you're genuinely going to enjoy it. It was very very good. Uh, <laughs> all right. What's that? Nah, just saying. All right. Yeah. No, that sounds great. I love that. Oh shit. man, it's so good. And uh, man, yeah, I, I had something else, and, and now it's kind of kind of slipping my mind. But I was I was working on uh, some of the new game plus on Final Fantasy VII Remake. So you can kind of go back and play uh, replay chapters to try and find things that you missed out on. Uh, so right. I'm going back through and playing some of the chapters I really enjoyed and also some some key chapters where I know I missed something. I missed a summon materia somewhere and I have to go back and get that. Still really enjoying that. And then I was going to start Fallout 76 after that, but then I saw Witcher was on sale today and picked that up. So that's going to be the next thing that I get into is uh, some Witcher 3, so which I'm really excited about because I only ever played a bit of the first Witcher. So now I'm going to get to play the most updated one and, and get caught up. With the lore on that to prep myself for the Witcher Three is better than Breath of the Wild. I would be totally blown away, and that would take my place in my top five most meaningful games. Then <laughs> it is absolutely fantastic. It has more story, more character than Breath of the Wild, but the open world is larger. 
and it is just as dense with interesting things to do. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, other than that, just getting getting you know binging a little bit on some ancient aliens because again, got this sweet oh, sweet God. cable. Been DVRing a bunch of ancient aliens, loving it. And uh, yeah, that's that's my playing and watching. I, I had something else too, but honestly, Fucking I cannot aliens. remember what it was. I'll, I'll shout it out if I remember. Well, fair enough. All right, Rob, you back with us enough to do your playing and watching? <laughs> oh, man. Rob, you're slightly off-center today. What's up, man? All right. Well, <laughs> then uh, I guess that calls it for today because Rob can't seem to get his to record again. So no playing and watching for Rob. He hasn't played anything all week or watched anything. He has stayed in a sense. Uh, what is that? A sensory deprivation tank the whole Wait, week. Wait, Rob, you tell <laughs> us what you played and we'll just make it up. Uh, just make it oh rob do you play doki doki literature club but uh, but you modded it for porn the whole time (laughs) (laughs) rob rob i can't believe that you loaded i can't believe that you loaded 175 nude mods into into uh elder scrolls 5 come on man (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, he specifically put in the Thomas the Train, but in like lingerie in S and M lingerie. It's got boobs. Like, that's it's got boobs. Like that's really weird <laughs> shit, Rob. Oh man! And uh, and on that <laughs> note, that's Rob's playing and watching. It's pretty freaky, but you know, hey, that's that's what people are into these days. So uh, we're we're here to judge, Rob. Don't worry. Yeah, just a little bit. And uh, in Canada, I guess the emergency order is currently extended till June second ish. Is that is that June 9th, I thought I saw June 9th. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we'll have to start planning a, a big a big blowout of an episode for when that lifts and we finally get to record in the same room again, uh, which is which is easier and always a lot more fun. And uh, we'll make it a very special event. And then uh, and then we'll have episode 100 coming up uh, probably about a month after that a month and a little bit after that. So pretty exciting times. Woo-hoo. Pretty exciting times. Uh, I should shout out I did get a chance to on the last episode during the re-record but we have joined fourth hand media network uh it's 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 a big podcast network lots of high quality pods on there they also do some production of their own so a lot of the pods that are that are in the network are actually uh, i i believe uh, produced by uh fourth hand and 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 brent who runs it and i think you should probably go and check it out i i have linked them in the show notes so you can check out the other podcasts that are on there as well some of my personal favorites are in there as well i know happy horror uh, Coffee Break is in there, which is which is one of my favorites I've been listening to, and, and I highly recommend it for fans of maybe classic style radio shows or horror style radio shows. If you were into uh, you know Svengooli or anything like that, I think you might dig this, and uh, and I think you get an absolute blast out of it. And uh, yeah, that's kind of everything. All the news going on in our world right now. Happy first year birthday to uh, Killer Rabbit Podcast. Those guys uh, have been on the air for a year now, doing very well, and uh, so a little shout out to them. And that's it, man. That's all I got. All right. Let's take her home. Sweet. Okay. Well, this is Alex Austin signing off of episode 90 of Rona Geek Official Podcast. And we also have. We got Isolated Plebeian Adam. Oh, 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 I get to do this. And just Rob. Hey, hi. I'm Rob. And I'm, I'm just I'm probably playing a hentai game right now. Talk to you guys later. Bye. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> all right. See you later, guys. <laughs>